This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This episode is brought to you by Accenture. A better you starts with better hydration. Accenture is on a mission to inspire people to do what matters most. Their proprietary ionization process transforms water from any source into ionized alkaline water, providing water that's 99.9% pure with a pH of 9.5 or higher. Essentia Overachieving H2O, the number one ionized alkaline water. Shop now. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hello, and welcome back to the Science Focus podcast. I'm Dan Bennett, the editor of BBC Science Focus magazine. Today, we're finding out everything you wanted to know about illusions, magic and the paranormal. Our guest is the brilliant Professor Richard Wiseman, a spectacularly creative scientist who started off life as a magician before going on to spend the last few decades investigating deception, parapsychology and the concept of good luck, along with many other aspects of the human experience. Richard has a hugely popular YouTube channel called Quirkology, which is a mere 2.15 million subscribers, and a new book out called Shoot for the Moon, which is all about what the moon landings and the psychology that achieved that feat can teach us about success in other areas of life. So I sourced questions from Google, the magazine team, and our listeners and readers and put them to Richard. So I just want to start off uh, with something quite obvious, I suppose, um, which is everyone loves magic, uh, but why, why did you decide to study it? Well, not certainly everyone does love magic, actually. Lots of people loathe magicians. And so, <laughs> and quite rightly, I mean, you, you sort of approach groups with a pack of cards and you can see them back off. It's, it's quite an effective form of social distancing. I think the government should be considering it. Um, so I got into, I do love magic though. And I, I got into it because of my granddad, which is true of many magicians. Uh, not, not, not they get in because of my granddad, but they got in because of their own granddad. And when I was around about eight, year old, eight years old, I would go and see my granddad. 
every Sunday. And he showed me the same trick. He wasn't a magician, but he'd learned one trick during the war, uh, which was that I would sign a coin, he'd make it disappear, and then there would be a box with some elastic bands on, he'd take off the elastic bands, inside was my, my coin. And he did that every single Sunday. And it's a great <laughs> trick, it's a really good one. And like all good magicians, he wouldn't tell me how that was done. And I said, well, come on. And he said, well, I'll tell you what, I'll tell you where the secret is. It's in the local library. Nah. So I went to the library. I read all about magic, eventually found the secret to that trick and, of course, lots of others. And that meant, as magicians say, uh, I was bitten by the bug. And <laughs> then it becomes something you sort of dedicate your life to. Most magicians get into it pretty young, around uh, eight or nine, something like that, and stick with it. Uh, it's, a, it's a very small, tight community of magicians. So I know, I know you went from being a, a teenage magician uh, and then uh, sort of blending a career between that and being a, I suppose, a professional psychologist. Um, so, so, so what does the study of magic and the study of illusions tell us about our brains? I think what magic and illusions tell us is that, well, first of all, we are very sophisticated. That's the first thing we should realize. You know, we put a person on the moon, for goodness sake. Um, we've done amazing things at curing disease around the world, incredible engineering marvels. And yet I can make a coin disappear right in front of you and you'll have no idea how it's done. And I think that is the tension right there between the fact that we are incredibly skilled observers and problem solvers at one level and another level tripped up by the smallest of illusions. So I think what they tell us fundamentally is that we are making assumptions without realizing it. And that those assumptions most of the time are right. And that's why we are so wonderful. But magicians and illusionists exploit those assumptions for, for entertainment. And that they, they show us that we're not really seeing the world. We're making assumptions. So for example, if you see a chair from such an angle that you can only see three of the legs, you don't go, oh, I think that's a three-legged chair. I'll go and check that out. You assume there's a fourth leg to it because most chairs have got four legs. And if you were to check out all your assumptions all of the time, you wouldn't be doing any of the amazing things that humans do. We make assumptions. But when magicians see a chair from the right angle, they go, oh, you could lose that back leg and now I can do a trick. So mm. it's showing that, that, as I say, we make assumptions, we make mental shortcuts without realizing it and that those shortcuts can be exploited under certain circumstances. And so when I told my podcast producer that we were going to do one about, um, you know, illusions and magic and the paranormal, he said, well, what's, what's science got to do with that? Um, but and my answer to him was, well, actually, you know, in a way, most magicians are psychologists. So, so what psychology do uh, magicians use? Well, before that, I should say they're not just psychologists; they are brilliant psychologists. <laughs> so, psychologists go out and you do an experiment. I've done many in my life, and you hope you get an effect. But that effect normally is pretty fragile. If you do it again, you might not get exactly the same effect, or you vary the people, and suddenly it doesn't work anymore, or whatever. Magicians have to walk out with their experiments, their tricks, in front of every single audience under all circumstances, and their effects, their tricks, have to work every single time. You can't fool 70% of the audience and 30% are going, well, it's obvious. And not only does it have to work in the room, when they all get together and talk about it afterwards, they can't solve the trick then either. 
So magicians are hitting every single part of the, the, the human sensory mm. system. The way in which we attend to information, the way in which we perceive it, the way in which we think about it and problem solve, the way in which we recall it. And you can't be a good magician without being aware of all of that. Not in the same way that psychologists are, it's a different type of awareness, but it's very practical and it's something you have to use on an absolute daily basis. So it's not that you have to understand the human mind, it's that you have to have a deep understanding of the human mind. Um, so I, I, I'm in awe of what magicians do. Uh, I think it's incredible. And um, so this one, this question comes uh, from my boss, uh, and I think it's an interesting one because uh, it touches on a, a tension that you kind of touched on earlier, which is some people do actually kind of hate magic, I suppose. Uh, not not me at all. I, you know, I, I really enjoy the joy that comes from it. But it seems like, in a, in a way, a lot of us like to be deceived. We like, we have that expectation and that enjoyment when someone tricks us. Um, have we, you know, do you have any insight into why that is? I think there's a few things going on there. So as, I mean, most people don't like to be deceived, actually. Obviously, lying is normally frowned upon uh, and, and people get very upset if, if people are lying to them. Magic mm -hmm. occupies this very odd space, as, as one magician once said, you know, we're the honest deceivers. We will tell you we're going to deceive you and that's exactly what we're going to do. I think some people enjoy the experience of seeing something magical. Not really the experience of being fooled, but the experience where the impossible seems to be possible, that someone can click their fingers and somebody else levitates or an object disappears. So you enter for a brief period of time this world where these things seem to happen. And in that sense, there's a suspension of disbelief. The other side of it is, well, now I want to figure out how that's done. And... Obviously, most people can't figure out how tricks are done. And for some people, that's really annoying. And for others, they go, wow, you know, I'd rather enjoy this kind of ambiguous, weird thing that I can't quite figure out. And so that's why I think the split is. It's on, do you enjoy ambiguity and not knowing? Or are you the sort of person that wants everything to be put into a box and you know exactly how the world works, in which case magic tricks are living hell for you? <laughs> where, where do you find yourself in that, uh, that dichotomy? Well, magicians are very odd. They're very odd in that because um, once you learn the basics of magic, sort of nothing fools you. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I, I'll go along to a, a magic show even in Vegas. I'll kind of know how everything is, is done. And that is because they're all being done for a lay audience. Uh, and mm -hmm. magicians make very different assumptions about the world. However, what's lovely is when you go along to a magic convention, there's a type of... Um, magic, which is uh, designed to fool magicians, but not lay people. Uh, and, and, and so I get fooled by that. So to give a very concrete example, there's a very famous card trick where you have a card uh, selected, you place it into the center of the deck, you then click your fingers, it comes up to the top of the deck. Now, that involves quite a lot of sleight of hand. You have to practice a long time to be able to do that trick. The one way you wouldn't do that trick is use 52 cards that are all the same because somebody will just rumble you instantly. They'll just go, hold on a second, are those cards all different? And, and, and then you get rumbled. So um, when you see that trick as a magician, if you're at a magic convention, as happened to me um, a few months ago, if someone is using 52 cards that are all identical, it will fool you as a magician. 
Because I'm assuming that deck must all be a regular deck. Only an idiot would do it with a, a deck where they're all the, the same. So I got fooled. A lay person wouldn't be fooled by that. So you can still get that sense of wonder, but un, under very different circumstances. Well, that's that's nice to know. You can still you can still get that uh, that joy of being fooled. Um, so so we talked then earlier about uh, you know magicians being psychologists, um, and then it falls the other way because psychologists actually use illusions um, to gain insight into the brain. Can you just speak a little bit about that? How psychologists use these to study uh, the mechanisms of our minds? I, I think probably most of the direction of travel is psychologists learning from magicians. Magicians really don't learn very much from, from psychologists <laughs> uh, at all. So there is a lot of, of research uh, where magicians, uh, sorry, psychologists have studied um, magic and realised there are effects in there. And that's, um, that's every part of the perceptual system. So it might be that you're looking at attention, and we are social animals, so we take attention from one another, attentional cues. So you look where the performer tends to look. And magicians are very good at looking in one place where something secret is happening somewhere else. Hmm. It could be uh, perceptual, that uh, they do exploit perceptual uh, illusions. Uh, certainly in terms of problem solving, you know, what assumptions are you making about the world? A bit like I was saying with the deck of cards. And then in terms of memory, you know, magicians will manipulate your memory. They'll say, let's recap the trick. And they'll then say, give a whole description, none of which may have actually happened. But what you remember is their verbal recapping, not what actually happened. And it's almost as if, if you want to put a single wrap around it, you, you've got kind of two narratives. You've got the magic trick narrative, which is something amazing is happening, and you've got the genuine narrative, which is, here's the secret ugly um, bit of why the trick works. Mm. And what magicians are doing is using misdirection to keep you on the magic narrative and to keep you well away from the, uh, the truth. And by the time you realize that magic narrative is deeply flawed because something impossible happens, it's too late to backtrack. That's basically how the whole of magic works. Hi, sorry, I'm just going to interrupt for just a second to tell you about a new subscription offer we've got going for BBC Science Focus magazine. At six issues for 9 99 it's great value, and it comes straight to your door, which is ideal in these strange times. Don't miss out, because we've got some great issues coming up. We're soon going to be digging into the science of dogs, and we're going to be finding out whether life could have started around black holes. And we've even got a behind-the-scenes feature coming up about the UK's next moon mission. To get the offer, head to www.buysubscriptions.com forward slash science focus spring podcast offer. Anyway, back to the show. So, so I actually uh, did a psychology undergrad degree and the kind of general um, sort of teaching of, you know, cognitive psychology, the, you know, the way... Um, we make decisions and we process information, et cetera, et cetera. Um, it, it had this interpretation that essentially our, our brains are a very limited machine. Um, is that essentially what magic relies on and, and this ability to trick people? Or is it a little bit more nuanced in that magicians are able to understand the specific limitations and then you know, manipulate those? Yeah, I, I don't... <laughs> I don't think we are limited. I think we're amazing. 
I, I think we do astonishing things all of the time. But in order to do those astonishing things, we have to make assumptions. And most of the time those assumptions are true and uh, magicians create scenarios where they turn out not to be um, true. So uh, I, I think there is a cognitive component to what's going on. There's a social component as well because magic is interactive. Without an audience, there is no magic. Um, <laughs> if you like the performer, then it's much, much easier than if you dislike the performer. As a magician, it's much easier if you're liked. Um, so there's a cognitive, there's a developmental side to this because children, you know, uh, obviously looking at magic tricks, sometimes think they're genuine magic and and so on. So it cuts across pretty much every area of of psychology, and in most of those areas is a celebration of of how wonderful we are and the incredible things we can achieve, and it and it, and it celebrates that and demonstrates that by tripping us up. So I'm going to um, move on a little bit to uh, some of the stuff I found while uh, searching around the internet. And um, obviously the internet loves illusions, uh, particularly more so in the last few years. Um, but there's also some on the sort of periphery that make some pretty bold claims like, uh, you know, look at this image and it will measure your stress level was one I saw run uh, a certain very popular uh, news site, which I won't name. Uh, or another one, which was, if you watch this, it'll improve your mood, uh, which was obviously a watch static image that was a visual illusion of something moving. So my question is, can can visual illusions change our mood, or is there any evidence that they can do, you know, measure our mood? Um, I think if if someone else was stare at an internet page for half an hour and nothing happened, it would improve my mood immensely. Um, <laughs> Uh, if it's me doing it, I think it, it would change my mood, but not in a positive direction. Uh, so, I, I, um, no, I mean, for the most part, those claims are, are pretty wild and, and wacky. We did some work a while ago on the, uh, the duck rabbit illusion, which is the, the Joseph mm-hmm. Jastrow illusion, uh, which is a, uh, it's a bistable image. And so it looks like a rabbit and then suddenly it will flip into a, a duck and back again. And uh, what we looked at was how frequently the flipping occurs because some people get stuck on a rabbit and can't see a duck. And for other people, it's flipping all the time, a bit like the, the Necker cube that flips in one direction or the other. And then we compared it to creativity levels. And in fact, the more flipping that's going on, the more creative you are. And that makes sense because creative people are constantly rearranging their environment. Um, so there's some of that out there, but not very much. I mean, most magic tricks uh, in particular have to work with all the people all the time. And, and so actually they're, they're pretty bomb-proof, as it were. There aren't individual differences there. Okay. And then here's one that came from uh, one of the members of uh, the magazine team, and you can uh, sense the frustration in this one. Um, do, magic eye illustration, uh, do magic eye illusions really work, or was it just a big conspiracy? It's a huge conspiracy. Um, basically, it's just an excuse to get people to stare at those sort of jazzy posters for as long as possible. And then what happened was that word got round that you were supposed to say you could see a 3D image there, which made the even more annoying for the people that couldn't see it. And my, how we've laughed over the last decade with those. Um, no, as far as I know, they work. They always work uh, for me. And uh, you, you do get that, those 3D effects suddenly sort of jump out. It requires a bit of defocusing. But no, they're, they're, they're great. Yeah, so your, your colleague needs to just stare, you know, a little bit longer. 
I, I'd give it yeah, up to a day, no longer than a day staring at those things. <laughs> Another colleague just uh, responded to that question with, maybe you don't have magic eyes. Yes. Which I thought was right. quite cruel. <laughs> no, that's, 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 yes, that is cruel. Yeah. Um, so uh, that brings me to something else. Um, when we uh, see an illusion, or and, you, and this is probably something that's also true of comedy as well, um, what do we know about what's happening in the brain when we, when we get when we experience an illusion and we get that joy out of seeing something impossible happen or something that defies expectation? I, I don't think we know very much about either the mind or the, the, the brain. I'm a psychologist, so, so my sort of focus is, is very kind of mind rather than brain. Um, mm. I think that we know that people like certain sorts of surprises. So you mentioned jokes there, and I think there's a very strong parallel between magic tricks and, and jokes. So there is a theory that when you um, see something which is surprising and threatening, you, you cry out to warn others. But when you see something that's surprising and non-threatening, uh, which is like the end of a joke, for example, so you know, two fish in a tank, one turns to the other and says, do you know how to drive this? That, that suddenly you get this surprise at the end, but it's non-threatening, and to signal that, you laugh. So we know a little bit about why surprising things make us laugh under certain circumstances. We know that when we see something in Congress, something we didn't expect to see, we become very curious. Magic tricks are a great use in uh, education for that, that reason. But what we don't know very much about is what magicians refer to as this kind of sense of wonder, the moment of magic. Does it even exist? Um, but that moment of I don't believe what I've just seen, and somehow that's making me query everything I know about physics and the world and, and, and so on. So we don't know whether that, that really exists, but magicians do talk about it. I, I think for me, all these things, it, it's about that word impossible. I, I think the symbolism of magic is that often we assume things are impossible and actually, there are ways of making them possible. So for me, it is an, a, a sort of inspirational moment that you, you know, what I love about the mindset of magicians is that if, if um, you're in a room with 20 magicians and you say, hey, look, we have to levitate that table. There's not one of them that goes, well, don't be stupid. It's a table. It's like, because what are you talking? They all go, well, you could do this or you could do that or so-and-so did this. Well, in Victorian times, they used this you instantly get into the mindset of making impossible things possible. And I, I think that's a wonderful mindset. And I think that has led, um, in reality, to many of the most amazing breakthroughs in the history of humanity. It's that same openness to the impossible. Is that, um, just, just a possibly slightly personal question, but has that bled into your your life? It sounds like you've you've gained a real appreciation and love for that sense of defying the impossible yeah and has that is. made your life better I, oh, I think magic makes my life better in three ways one is social because lots of my mates are, are magicians um two is that magical thinking means that when i give talks or make videos the internet where you're always thinking as a magician and that's helpful but i think three it's exactly what you're saying there that often i'm in meetings where people go we just we can't do this and and you just don't think that as a magician you think the exact opposite and the, the last book, which Shoot for the Moon, uh, was about how you put a, a person on the moon. And when I spoke to all the mission controllers, the Apollo mission controllers, you know, they said they started off with this impossible task. It was just unbelievable to think you'd send a person to the moon and back again. 
in, in 62. And there were so many cynics and so many skeptics, they got rid of all of them at uh, NASA essentially, brought in this group of incredibly young people, who in the words of one of them, were so young we didn't know it couldn't be done. That, that, we, that we believed this impossible thing might be possible, and it was that that drove us forward. So I think it's, it's really important. Um, and so magic in that sense is, 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 is a very important moment because it gives you this simulation of going, wow, wow. And, 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 and that gives us hope, I think, outside of that moment. So we should, we should all um, try and think a little bit more like magicians. I think we should um, be open to the notion that we have limitations in our minds. We think certain things aren't possible about our lives or about humanity or about whatever it is. And those are self-imposed a lot of the time. And that we can do and have done amazing things. And that for hundreds of years, a small group of very strange people have dedicated their lives to taking a coin and making it look like it's disappeared. And, you know, great, they've done it. Um, and uh, <laughs> at one level, it should give us all some hope. Brilliant. Well, that's a great place to wrap up for now. In next week's episode, out Thursday, we'll pick up where we left off and find out how you can make yourself luckier, whether extrasensory perception is real, and what this all has to do with the moon landings. If you've enjoyed this episode and will be tuning into the next one, please do subscribe. And if you can spare a minute, leave a review. It lets us know you're enjoying the format and you can even let us know what topic you want us to tackle next. And of course, for more guides to the big ideas in science and technology, head over to our website, sciencefocus.com. Or better yet, sign up to our brilliant newsletter at sciencefocus.com forward slash newsletter. Thank you for listening to the Science Focus podcast from the BBC Science Focus magazine team. We're the UK's best-selling science and technology monthly, available in print and in several digital formats throughout the world. Find out more at sciencefocus.com or look out for us in your app store.